We are in part four of our series that we're calling The New Life, and this is all about how Jesus changed the world with two words, follow me. So people left their nets, they left their tax collector's booth, they left the old, and they went to follow Jesus. And now in our lives, in our relationship with God, it's the same thing. We lay down the old and we pick up the new. And so we're talking about what that looks like. What are the different common experiences in the new life that we need to make sure we can grab hold of? Last time we talked about walking by faith. A very important part of being a believer in Jesus is walking by faith. And uh, this week we're going to talk about living right. We're going to talk about living, you know, a morally upright life, living right. So God calls us to live differently than we did before. This is just a fundamental, regular truth of the gospel. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, which we read last time in the faith, the faith installment of this series. But this time we're going to focus on the last verse in verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it says there, verse 10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? To do good works. So we're supposed to do good things. We're supposed to live righteous, upright lives. We're supposed to be a blessing and a benefit to this world, to those who know us. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that means that God has a plan. There are things he's got for us to do, specifically you and me, to do. And if we don't do it, it messes things up. So this is the plan. God calls us to live differently than we did before. We're supposed to live an upright life. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, we want to grab hold of these good works. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, kind of along the same lines? As a prisoner for the Lord, then, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's uh, he's a prisoner again. He's, you know, and uh, so he's writing to them to encourage them uh, as a, so the book of Ephesians written to the church in Ephesus where Paul spent a lot of time. uh, And so now he's writing to them from prison to be able to uh, encourage and strengthen them. He says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We're called up into living that life. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So we get a little glimpse of what does that look like, this life that is worthy of the calling that you and I have received as followers of Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like being completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another so that we can be unified, keeping the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It means that we stand together humbly and gently patient, bearing with one another. So that's what that looks like. This is living a life worthy of the calling. 
Now, this is something we got to grab hold of because it's very important. And I want to tell a little story about a mentor that I had, my father-in-law, uh, when he was alive, was a great Christian mentor to me. And one time we were talking about uh, living right. And he told me what it was like for him after he first got saved, after he first came to the Lord. And uh, he said that he, he would pray and ask God what he needed to change. You know, what do I need to change, Lord? I know I, I don't have everything straightened out. I'm trying to, trying to do this best I can. What, what do I need to change? And he said God would just kind of download a, a list of things he needed to get right in his life. And so then he would deal with those things. And then when he got done with the list, you know, he would pray, Lord, look, I got the list done. And the Lord would, you know, just say in his heart, well, you know, there are these other things and give him a few more things like, oh, 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 okay. And then he'd work on those. And then he'd say, Lord, I got those. I'm dealing with those. I'm doing pretty good. And he'd say, well, that's very good. Very good. Here's a couple more things. And so there's this process of learning and growing and getting straightened out. Uh, God deals with us on how we are to change, how we are to get better, how we're to live uh, a life worthy of the calling that we have received, and we can learn and grow over time through this. You know, I haven't seen the believer who just is like, boop, perfect. Uh, you know, they come to Jesus, they, they ask for forgiveness of their sins and pledge their life to serve the Lord, and then all of a sudden they're just perfect in every way. I've yet to see that. There's a, a progression that happens. We, we get better as time goes on. And we want to grab hold of it because when the followers of Jesus don't follow Jesus in this way, it messes things up. When we don't live right, it causes problems. Have you ever heard that, you know, that, that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites and so then people throw out the, the message of Jesus Christ? Because, ah, church is full of hypocrites. I'm not going to church, I'm not believing in that garbage. When we don't live right, it messes things up. Up. So let's talk about that. We'll do a couple of examples. One of them, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, one of my very favorite uh, sections of scripture. It's a little bit harsh, but you know, that's okay. It's okay to read some harsh scriptures, but I love, especially verse 7, just is so, so, you know, it just cuts to the heart. It's so powerful. We're going to read verses 7 through 11 from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. So do you want to be completely defeated? No, I don't want to be completely defeated. They're fighting with each other. They're clearly not, you know, having the bond of peace and bearing with one another. They got lawsuits be between each other. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. We've all got stuff that is messed up in our past. Now, sometimes people focus 
strongly on certain pieces of the puzzle here, but it says slanderers. You know, that's in the list. That's people who talk bad about other people, not necessarily knowing the whole truth. As a slanderer, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. So we don't want to be slanderers. We don't want to be sexually immoral. We don't want to be in this list. Let's go ahead and follow the Ten Commandments. You know what I mean? Like, do not murder. In Matthew chapter chapters 5 through 7, but very much in chapter 5, Jesus talks about the new covenant, the fulfillment of the law, and how it goes from a list of rules into a matter of the heart. And he's talking about murder. And, you know, he's basically talking about following the Ten Commandments. When it comes to murder, he says it's not enough to just refrain from murdering people. You got to not have a murderous heart. You got to not hate people. So we need to make sure that we're dealing with our heart and not being hateful people. Wouldn't the world be wonderful if there were no hateful Christians? They would, oh man, that'd be super helpful. How about adultery? One of the 10 commandments, you know, don't even look at a woman in a lustful way. You've committed adultery in your heart, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, like we don't want to be sexually immoral. That means, you know, get off the porn, you know, <laughs> cut that out. Uh, in today's world, you know, sex before marriage is just, it's just kind of a normal thing. There's the sanctity of marriage, and we want to make sure that we reserve that for the marriage union. You know, like that adultery, sexual immorality, it's a big deal. You know, the, our culture is very much into trying to find purpose in your life through sexuality. And anyway, that's not the way to get your purpose. Then, you know, coveting one of the Ten Commandments, that's a huge deal. Like, that is don't want what other people have. Don't be jealous. Like, that's a huge heart commandment. That already was a, a command of the heart because it's, it's you know, it's, it's a, an action of the heart. Don't have idols, you know. Don't have any other gods before God. It, we need to follow these commands in our hearts and live right. Let's go ahead and follow the Ten Commandments because as we read here, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we want to go ahead and do that. And this damage that is caused by us living wrong, doing the wrong things, the damage goes beyond you and your life when you misrepresent God through your actions. Let's go to Romans, Romans chapter two, another one of my favorite sections of scripture. If I can flip there a little bit more quickly, Romans chapter two, this is talking about people who basically think they got it all down because they're fancy religious people, but they don't. Hallelujah. Verse 17 through 24 of Romans chapter 2. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? So, I mean, he's laying it on pretty thick here. You who think you are completely awesome in every way, and you don't get to think you're completely awesome and say, oh, yes, but I know I'm failing, and so I'm so... You don't get to pretend and have false humility. If you're prideful then and you're a believer, this applies to you. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? 
as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Isaiah 52. So God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What does that mean? That means that when people see Christians acting stupid, they reject God. This is a huge, huge point. We are ambassadors for Christ. When we act worse than the world, or even even with the world, the world looks at us and goes, what a bunch of jokers. Their God's got to be a loser and not even real. So they just reject it all. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's not what we want. The damage goes beyond you and your life when you misrepresent God in your actions. So how's this supposed to work? How's it supposed to go? Well, uh, we have a vision statement here at Good Hope Church, which is it's reach up, rise up, reach out. And uh, this is how it's supposed to work. Reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. We want to connect with God. We want to get to know God. We want to get to know the love of God for us. And we want to love God back, worship God, honor God. When you have a real relationship with God, reach up, then rise up. A real relationship with God will change you. You're going to start to adjust. You're going to start to see things that you were doing. Ah, I don't want to do that anymore. Things I was watching, listening to, you know, participating in thought processes, these, these things that's not right. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm catching on to something better, you know, because I'm connecting with God and God is changing me. And then reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. You're going to see that this is much, much bigger than you, that your life really is about making a difference for others. And so then you you end up being called into action. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. So we want to connect with God, love God, let the love of God change us as we connect and grow in our relationship with God. And then we get to the place where we start seeing and making a difference for other people, being a blessing in this world, rather than someone who causes the name of the Lord to be blasphemed. You know, we want to be people who are doing this well, connecting with God, growing in our faith, making a difference in this world. And that just, I wish that every Christian was making real progress. Some are, you know, I mean, the, the negative examples overshadow the positives that are going on. There are lots and lots of believers who are making real progress. They're still flawed and imperfect people. But if you saw them two years ago, you'd be like, wow, <laughs> that, that person is still not functional, but they are doing great compared to where they were before. But I wish that more people could grab a hold of just connecting with God, knowing the love of God that you ha- that he has for you, loving God back, being restored to that relationship, being changed and growing in your connection with God and making a difference for other people. If we could do that, that'd be awesome, but that can be kind of rare. Usually when it comes to the rise up part, you know, let's start living right. Let's start learning the ways of God and putting them into practice, actually follow Christ. Uh, the rise up part, A lot of times people can get off track in two major ways. So I want to talk about those two major ways here. The first way we'll call legalism. These are two major ways that living right goes wrong. People are trying to live right. How does living right go wrong? Number one of the two major ways is legalism. And this is basically trying to justify yourself by your actions or trying to reject others 
by their actions, you know, like looking at behavior and making a judgment. I'm doing right, so I'm awesome. They're doing wrong, so they're horrible. This is legalism. It's like being saved by works. What we read about in Ephesians chapter two, you know, it's not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is the gift of God by the grace of God that we access by faith. So we're not saved by works, but legalism is along those lines, trying to justify yourself through your behavior. This we saw in Matthew chapter 15. We see that this was a big problem in Jesus' day. So let's read Matthew 15, verses 1 through 11. A lot of scripture today. It's important to grab hold of this. They had legalism in biblical times, and they had the other problem in biblical times too. So here we go. Let's look at legalism. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Is this the biggest problem we have in the world? People, you don't wash your hands. And this was a ceremonial washing, not necessarily, you know, the good, you know, the good scrub. This was a ceremonial washing. It didn't really make much difference. And they're having a big to-do about it, a religious rule that doesn't matter, and they're making a fuss about it. So Jesus responds to that. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares, declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father or mother with it, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's saying, look, hey, following these Religious hand-washing rules is nothing compared to speaking evil, speaking darkness. So you can't just like follow the hand-washing rules and then, you know, talk down to your children, your spouse, you know, just let the verbal attack fly. You can't do that. That defiles you. You washed your hands and so you think you're good, but you're doing all this evil speaking. That's not going to work. That's legalism. You know, and it's just powerful. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They do not love God. They do not love the ways of God. They're just trying to follow a bunch of rules to justify themselves. And then that causes them to hate other people. And that's a mess. That's legalism. It was a big problem in Jesus' day. So you've got this whole living right going wrong by legalism you know, following irrelevant rules and forgetting the really important things, kind of like missing the forest for the trees and you built the trees yourself. So then you got cheap grace on the other side, legalism, trying to justify yourself by your actions, reject others by their actions. And then cheap grace is simply ignoring God's ways while you're banking on exploiting God's grace. You know, that's the whole side of, hey, it's not by works. I can do whatever I want. I can just absolutely trash the ways of God. I can I can absolutely fail in every way. I can hurt anybody I want. I can be as selfish and as garbage as I want because it's not up to my actions anyway. I'm saved by grace. So woohoo, you know, that's cheap grace. This was the problem 
in Corinth, the Corinthian church was seeing things through this lens. And, uh, you know, that's the place where we, we read, you know, hey, you've been completely defeated already. That was from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? You're like, you got to get right. You can't just let it go. Yes, you are saved by grace through faith, not by works so no one can boast. But what were you saved to? You're saved to good works that were created in advance for you to do. So this is what you're supposed to do. That was the problem in Corinth. And it is very much the problem in today's world, which is, you know, instead of, you know, seeing a problem with every little behavior like legalism, it's like, yeah, you know what? Nothing really matters. We're all good. Jesus loves us. And that's pretty much it. You know, go ahead and live your life however you want. The trap that I see different Christians get in is kind of vacillating between the two. Like they they go over here and they just sort of do what they want, but they start feeling guilty and they see the damage they're causing. So then they try to follow a whole bunch of rules and, you know, so they can feel better about themselves, but that turns yucky. So they're like, well, this is pointless. And then they go back to here and they're like, and then, you know, and they're, they're going back and forth between legalism and cheap grace. And they're not finding satisfaction in any of them because guess what? Both of them are a problem. Both of them are wrong. What we want to do is we want to throw that whole way of thinking out that goes between legalism and cheap grace, take that whole thing, wad it up in a ball, throw it in the garbage, because that way of thinking does not work. No more focusing on yourself and whether or not you're good enough, right? Don't, don't be like, oh, I got to do all these things so I'm good enough, or I'm just good enough the way I am, and so I'm just going to let it all go and not bother with it. It isn't about you and whether or not you're good enough. Throw that way of thinking out. The problem with both of these, legalism and cheap grace, is that it's focusing on self instead of the greatest commandment. We're going to go to the book of Mark, chapter 12. I love the way this is phrased in Mark. Mark 12, starting in verse 28, says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important? What's the most important command? I love that question. I am a bottom line guy. I don't, I, my head doesn't work with all the details. Let me make sure I'm facing in the right direction and I figure it'll work out. So what's the most important commandment? Great question. Jesus answers it straightforward. Hallelujah. Verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we need to make sure that we love God. Legalism and cheap grace are not about loving God. We saw that for sure with regards to legalism. You know, in Matthew chapter 15, when Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says, you know, your, your lips <laughs> say the right things, but your hearts are far from me. Your traditions are just rules taught by men. It's, it's just legalistic rules. It's just a, a list of man's rules. It's just garbage. It's not about loving God. It's about following these rules and self-justification. Throw that out. Love God. 
The greatest commandment is to love God. The next one is to love your neighbor, which follows from love God because God loves your neighbor. And so if you love God and you're connecting with the ways of God and the heart of God, then you're going to love your neighbor too because God loves your neighbor, you know? Super, super important. So we can see that it gets off with regards to legalism because that isn't loving God. And it gets weird when people want to justify themselves or they want to go to heaven, but they don't love God. That's when things get funny. We've got to love God. It's the greatest, most important commandment is to love God. How about this cheap grace thing? How is that not loving God? Let me give you a quick story. This is a made-up story. I'm making it up. It's just an example. So let's say somebody wants to be on a hockey team. So they go to the coach and they're like, hey, coach, I want to be on the hockey team. And the coach is like, okay, great. You know, uh, practice is tomorrow at eight. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to go to practice. You know, I, I don't really want to go to practice. I just want to be on the team. It's like, what? You don't want to go to practice, but we need people to go to practice. He's like, well, no, I, I want to be on the team. I just don't want to have to practice. He's like, well, do you, are you skating on your own? Are you practicing on your own? You know, how do you get ice time? What's going on there? Oh, well, I don't skate, you know, and I, I you know, I, I don't do any of that stuff. I just want to be on the team. And like, well, what position do you play? He's like, well, I, you know, I don't really know much about hockey. I, I'm, I don't know even what the positions are. I just want to be on the hockey team. And you can see this is just weird, right? What's wrong with the picture? Well, it isn't that, okay, we need to figure out, okay, you should go to practice because you take that person, you put them in practice, it's not going to work. What's the real problem with that person who wants to be on the hockey team? The problem is they don't love hockey. You know, they don't want to be there. They somehow want to belong without wanting to be there. And that's what cheap grace is. It's like, yeah, I don't love God. I do want to belong though. I do want to go to heaven. Don't care about God at all. Don't love God in the slightest. I just want to go to heaven. And that's what cheap grace is. The problem isn't in working out the details. The problem, you know, in the example is that person needs to love hockey. You know, if you want a hockey player on your team, they need to love hockey. And uh, for the follower of Jesus, we need to love Jesus. We need to love God. We need to love the ways of God. So legalism and cheap grace don't work. If we're going to live right, it starts with loving God. It starts with connecting with the heart of God and having that grow us into somebody different. And then the overflow is living right. We're not going to, you know, have a murderous heart. We're not going to have an adulterous heart. We're not going to have a coveting heart. We're not going to go after idols and false gods. If we love God, we're connecting with the ways of God and there's an overflow in our lives, it's going to be the fruit of the Spirit not the ways of the the sinful nature. So one more thing as we try to land the plane, it's going to take a little bit to land the plane here, but one more thing before we close is what about the fear of God? Aren't we supposed to fear God? The Bible's, you know, talks about fearing God on a fairly regular basis. And isn't that how we've been taught? You know, like you'd better be right or you're going to get it. You know, like fear God. All right, here's how I'm going to go. That should be part of your character arc for sure. But that's not what maturity in a relationship with God looks like. It should be part of your character arc. We're not just who we are. We are people in a process of growth. We could also be in a process of deterioration. But we're not just a static bloop, this is me, you know, cross section of our lives. We're in this state of flux, of growth or deterioration in a variety of different ways. And so fearing God is an important part of that character arc. Do you remember from uh, part one of this series, 
We're talking about parable of the sower and different ways that people responded to the message of the kingdom. And what was that message about the kingdom from part one? I give you the Pastor Mike version. I'm gonna just recap that quick here. And that is, here's the message of the kingdom, the thing that, that we are to believe and understand. Uh, this is in my, my way of thinking and talking. Number one, the creator God is real. You are part of that creation and God has a plan. The kingdom that the father wants is not like here. It's an eternal kingdom. It's perfect where there's no sin, no death, no pain, and it's supposed to be full of creative, intelligent, free-willed beings like you and me. But the problem is that creative, intelligent, free-willed beings tend to create problems, create pain, create problems that ruin the plan. So the first part of the solution is to destroy those who ruin the plan. The wages of sin is death. God has this wonderful plan. If we're going to wreck it, we need to be eliminated. That seems fair, right? Like, why should God let us destroy his plan for his eternal kingdom? But the second problem is then the kingdom is uninhabitable because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's not going to work. So the rest of the solution is to redeem those who ruin the plan and teach them how to not ruin the plan. Jesus paid the price to redeem us. Now we let ourselves be redeemed and we learn to live the new life, learn how to not ruin the plan. That's living right. Don't lie about people. Don't slander people. You know, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't have other idols and other gods before God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, do that stuff and it all starts to work. Does it make sense to fear the Lord if this is the plan? Well, Yes, at the beginning. I mean, if we recognize that those who ruin God's plan for his eternal kingdom must be destroyed, then we look at ourselves and see that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we can't go there without wrecking the plan. We were like, oh, it's a scary thing. But it's not the completion of it. That's like the second grader who's afraid of the principle. You know, like a second grader's relationship with the principle is like that fear-based relationship. The second grader doesn't want to get in trouble. They probably want to pull a few things and hope it doesn't get noticed. But then they end up uh, going to the principal's office when they get in trouble and it's this thing. And if that fear of the principal keeps the second grader straight, then that's cool. But nobody wants a 40-year-old second grader. If you're still in second grade, you're 40 years old, that's a problem. We grow up and then we get a better perspective. And we look back at second grade and we're like, oh, well, the principal was trying to keep order in the classroom so the kids could learn and so we could have a better life. Like, okay, I get that. That's, that's good. We should learn the basic skills that we need in order to be able to be educated and live a good life, make the most of who we are. So we grow up and we get a better perspective. So we need to transition in our relationship with God into something better than just fearing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the finish. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, so powerful. We're going to read verses 13 through 19, and we'll close in prayer. It says this, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, 
But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So verse 18 is the power verse there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It doesn't say that you should never have feared the Lord. It's that we fear the Lord because we understand the justice of God and we understand we're on the wrong side of that. And so we fear the Lord and we don't want to be on the wrong side, but we don't want to turn that fear into self-justification through legalism or just the salve of cheap grace. And, you know, I'm just going to exploit the grace of God. We don't want that. What we want is to walk into the love of God. The maturity of it is where we realize that God does love us, that we can learn his ways, and that we don't have to fear the punishment of God, but instead we can connect with God, learn wisdom and victory from God, and then the overflow of that is going to be living right. It's going to be the ways of the Spirit, following the ways of the Spirit. You know, if you are loving God, spending time with God, you're praying, you're worshiping, you're connected with God, and you're, then you're, you're overcoming the things in your life that are not godly, that are not part of God's heart, then the natural overflow is that you're not going to be breaking the Ten Commandments. You're not going to be, you know, falling into legalism or cheap grace. You know, you're not going to do that because you're going to be walking in the beauty and the goodness of God. So we want to love God and learn wisdom and victory from God. Then living right is going to be the natural overflow. So hope that's helpful. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord on being able to love him and have the new life flow out of that. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray for anyone who is hearing my voice right now, who has seen salvation as something that we earn, something that our behavior creates, who has gotten caught up in legalism, or who just hasn't loved you but wants to be included and so slipped into that cheap grace place or just couldn't face that they've got imperfections among themselves, so they have to pretend that everything is fine. Lord, let us, instead of focusing on ourselves with all of this stuff, justifying ourselves or just, you know, ex- exploiting your grace for ourselves, instead, let us love you, truly love you, connect with you, know you, learn your ways instead of all the messy baloney that's not even true you know, in different religious systems and people's ideas and all that. Let's get to know you. And as we get to know you, teach us wisdom. Teach us how to get victory over the things that are pulling us away from you. Teach us all of that. And then the overflow will be that we're living right and we'll have our feet on a firm foundation. So Lord, guide us with this. Help us grab hold of it. Set us free from the darkness. Let us grab hold of your ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.